Hi, you're listening to Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. Today, we have another installment in the series on historic church liturgy. We've covered things like prayer, music, and scripture reading. Today, a sermon on the gift of preaching. According to John, preaching has gone through several significant cycles throughout history, and we're going to learn more about that. But at the end of the day, proclaiming God's word through preaching is one of the primary means of grace for God's gathered guests. Let's dive now into this message called The Gift of Preaching the Word. Here's John with part one. But as you look at the scriptures, it's clear from the scriptures, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that not only the reading of God's word in public worship is commanded as a vital element in worship, but the preaching of God's word occupies a central place in the public worship of the church. Um, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I uh, had you turn to that, Paul issues a solemn charge to Timothy. He says, I charge you, listen to this, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in kingdom, preach the word. Paul reminds Timothy that his preaching ministry is carried out under the gaze of God and Christ. That's quite a sobering thought, is it not? As I'm doing that this morning. Um, Paul says, realize, Timothy, that your preaching ministry is carried out under the gaze of God and of Christ. It's not those around you, whether it's opponents or faithful believers. It's the presence of God that you're preaching in the presence of as he gazes upon that. Christ will return, Paul says, his appearing, and his kingdom will come. And that is the ultimate reality with which Timothy should be concerned of and mindful of and occupied with carrying out his ministry and calling to preach the word to the church. I'm going to tell you, I think about this all the time. Every time I get up here every Sunday, it's like, wow, what a calling. And so preaching of God's word is an indispensable and central element of Christian worship. It is preach the word. It is a command. It is not an option. In fact, John Stott, the great Anglican uh, pastor, he was the um, chaplain for the queen and, you know, obviously a great evangelical statesman, one of my favorites. Um, he says this, he says, preaching is not only indispensable to worship, preaching is indispensable to Christianity. Um, Christian preaching receded from public worship during the Dark Ages, but the 16th century Reformation restored biblical preaching once again to a prominent place in the regular worship of the church. I just want to give you a little snapshot so you can see what happened People uh, were eager to learn, and they eagerly sat under the pulpits of preachers who could expound to them the Holy Scriptures in the Reformation. Now, at first, they didn't really get quite get what was going on, but then they began to catch on. And uh, Martin Luther said this. He says that no gathering of worshipers should omit a sermon. Um, and so Luther was a great preacher, uh, John Calvin uh, considered preaching essential, and so essential did he consider preaching that Genevans in the city of Geneva in the Reformation referred to the Reformed Church in Geneva. They referred to their service as a whole as, quote, the sermon. 
Now, when John Calvin preached his sermons, he would be sweared at. He would have his life threatened. People attempted to murder him while he was preaching. They would have fist fights in the congregation as he was preaching. It was quite a turmoil time in the Reformation. It wasn't easy to preach God's word back then. Uh, Calvin considered his expositions of the scriptures more vital than his institutes. In fact, Calvin was known as, as an expository preacher. And so the pattern of preaching that he followed and that many of the reformers followed is called Lectio Continua. That is the continuous reading of scripture. And so his method was to preach all the way through an entire book of the Bible, which is what we typically do here at Paramount Church. And so when Calvin was, ex this is very interesting, he was exiled from Geneva many times. I think it was three times. One of the times when he was exiled from Geneva and then allowed to return, he went back to his church, walked up into his pulpit, opened up his Bible, and began preaching again precisely where he had left off, where he had been, the, the Sunday he had been driven out of his own church. Now, his, his sermons, this is interesting, his sermons typically lasted an hour, okay? His first sermon began at 4 a.m. every Sunday for the servants. And he was critical of other pastors who preached longer than an hour. <laughs> but if you preached an hour, it was okay. So give me some slack, right? It's like, <laughs> um, I've never gone past an hour here, and I never intend to. Um, but th here's some interesting things about his menace, preaching ministry. Uh, he preached no fewer than 4,000 sermons on the Bible, which is astonishing. On the Old Testament, he preached at least 2,000 sermons, and that only covered the years 1541 to 1556. The, those were the years that, that were recorded, so who knows how many he actually really preached. Calvin would preach twice on Sundays, as I said, beginning at 4 a.m., then at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And then he would preach throughout the week, uh, at least twice in the week at 6 o'clock in the morning. But he, so he would preach on average from 4 to maybe 5, 6, 7 times a week. But taken as a whole, his life's work was to preach through the whole Bible, and what a life's work that was, and he almost accomplished it. So these, these, these reformers, the point is, were committed to the authority and, and teaching and truth of God's word. And so from a Reformation perspective, the, the sermon is never an option in a divine service. Preach the word. It is a commanded element. And so a liturgy that seeks to be truly biblical will give a prominent place to preaching because it is demonstrating from that prominent place of preaching, it is demonstrating that both the preacher and the congregation sit under the authority of the Word of God. And so what I want to do this morning and next week is I want to give to you 10 points about why uh, preaching is an essential element in the corporate worship or the liturgy of God's church. Why um, it is necessary and the dignity of it that comes with the preaching office and this means of grace. And so that's what I want to show you. So here's the first one uh, today. Preaching is the chief means of grace. Um, preaching, writes an old uh, Anglican Puritan, preaching is one great and noble part of the pastoral ministry. It's the chief way that the pastor shepherds and demonstrates love to his flock. P 
Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Pastors who do not preach the word of God and make it prominent in the church do not love their sheep. Jesus says, Peter, the way and the evidence that you show forth love to your people is you feed my sheep. Um, In his lectures on expository preaching, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he stated that preaching represents the highest and the greatest and the most glorious calling one could have. Such necessity and dignity are accorded to the preaching of God's word in the church because the word of God is the chief means of grace. Um, God generally reveals himself through nature called general revelation, right? Romans chapter 1 Verse 20, Paul says that God's eternal power and his divine nature can be seen through general revelation. But God savingly reveals himself through his son, which is special revelation. Jesus says to Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so the means by which God reveals Christ centers principally upon the word of God. And then the Holy Spirit takes the reading of God's word, but especially the preaching of God's word, and makes that effectual to salvation. It's the chief means of grace. And so by the preaching of the gospel, God's favor in Christ is powerfully applied to the hearer who is receiving that word. I'm going to just give you a, a, an example. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says to the believers in Thessalonica, he says, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The prophet Isaiah declares that God bestows a singular benefit upon the preaching of God's word to God's people, the gospel. Listen to what he says about it. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul emphasizes the dignity of the ministry of the gospel by describing it. Listen, he describes the gospel as the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And based on Paul's description of the gospel as being the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Calvin, reflecting on that, says this, there is nothing more notable or glorious in the church than the ministry of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the administration, it is the ministry, it is the work of the Holy Spirit who gives to the church righteousness and eternal life. There is nothing more notable or glorious in the church than the preaching ministry of the gospel to the church. So this is the first reason why uh, preaching is vital element and essential in the liturgy because it is the chief means of grace. Second, And this is very important. I want you to turn to Titus chapter 1. And what we see here is that preaching of the gospel is a manifestation of Christ. Listen to Paul in Titus chapter 1. He says, beginning verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, And their knowledge of the truth, 
which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Now that is powerful. Paul teaches that God promises. He makes promises. God is a promise-making, a promise-keeping God. And Paul says that God does not and that he cannot lie, but that he fulfills his promises. And so the trustworthiness and faithfulness of God instills hope in God's people. But here's the issue. It would be of no benefit if God makes promises, but does not manifest or make known those promises, right? And so Paul, therefore, writes, listen, God, at the proper time, manifested the hope of eternal life in his word through the preaching. Paul's statement in Titus 1 verse 3 is unusual. The reason is, is because when Paul talks about the manifestation of God in Christ, he's talking about Christ's incarnation. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Christ's incarnation, his manifestation, his appearance, obviously is the greatest indication of the faithfulness of God to his promises. But Paul says here, look carefully what he says, that God has manifested the hope of eternal life, listen, in his word through preaching. Do you see that? Paul's reference to preaching is not just unusual, it is startling. He's talking about not only the necessity, but the greatness and the amazing event that happens when the gospel is preached. Paul says that the coming of Christ to fulfill God's promise of eternal life is manifested, it is made known to God's people through the preaching of the gospel. Christ is made manifest in that event. What Christ did 2,000 years ago, Paul says, is brought to you present right now when you hear the gospel proclaimed to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is powerful. That's why it's a means of grace. That's why Christ is present. It's not an information dump on Sunday morning. It is through the preaching of the gospel that Christ is manifest that the relevance of this Christ event, the gospel from 2,000 years ago, continues in the church today. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul tells the Galatians something very startling as well. You see, the Galatians were not present at the crucifixion of Christ, right? It had already happened years earlier. Paul is with them in Galatia, and he says to them that he preached the gospel to them in such a manner as if they were eyewitnesses of Christ's crucifixion. Listen to what he says. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Well, how do we know that? Because in the context, Paul preached the gospel to the Galatians, and he brought Christ present to them. So much so that when you hear the pure gospel preached in the church, 
Paul says it is as if Christ is there and you are an eyewitness to his crucifixion. Preaching is a manifestation of Christ and the church. And therefore, preaching, because it manifests Christ, must be Christ-centered. Jesus is the goal and the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. He is the embodiment of the truth of God. He is the interpretive key to the whole Bible. It's all about him. And so Paul summarizes the content of his preaching in Colossians 1.28 with these three words, him we proclaim. That sums it up. That's the content. To the Corinthians, Paul says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And if you study the book of 1 Corinthians, what is interesting is, is you've got lots of different subjects that he addresses because of their questions, right? But if you look at the letter carefully, he takes the gospel and applies it to every one of the situations in that letter. He preaches Christ to them. And so this necessity, this dignity is accorded to the preaching of God's word in the church. Why? Because preaching of the gospel manifests Christ in his saving work, and that's what all of us desperately need the most, isn't it? Graham Goldsworthy, who is my favorite Anglican, I think, of all time, all right? Uh, he's, he's just fantastic. Graham Goldsworthy in his book, Preaching the Whole Bible is Christian Scripture. I have read that book so much, my pages are all falling out. Um, uh, and I hope to meet him and have him sign it before he dies, because he's getting up there, or maybe before I die. I mean, he might live longer, who knows? But anyway, Graham Goldsworthy, listen to what he says. He says, if we are not going to proclaim some aspect of the riches of Christ in every sermon, we shouldn't be in the pulpit. He's exactly right. I mean, he just nails it, right? We preach Christ. Him we proclaim. Preaching manifests Christ to the church and to unbelievers, right? Third... Preaching was central to Jesus' and the apostles' ministries. Preaching. Concerning Jesus' earthly ministry, Mark in his gospel writes this in Mark 1.14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. In Mark chapter 1, verses 38 and 39, Jesus says to his disciples, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And so he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues. Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus says, uh, that the Father sent him to preach the gospel. He says in Luke 4, 43, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. He was sent to preach. Jesus wanted his disciples to be with him so he could train them for their apostleship, and that prioritized preaching in their ministry. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14, 
Mark says that Jesus appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. And so with this Christ-directed training, it's no surprise to find that the first century church dedicated itself to preaching. You see this in the book of Acts. All throughout the book of Acts, you see Christ-centered proclamation of the gospel, which was a central activity of the church. Uh, Luke, in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, says that the church, that the growth of the church owed its growth to the fact that the word of God, listen, kept on spreading. There are 10 major Christ-centered sermons in the book of Acts. There are three sermons by Peter, there's one sermon by Stephen, and there's six by Paul, and all of them are preaching Christ. Immediately following the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, as the believers in the church is filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter preaches the gospel to his fellow Jewish countrymen, and 3,000 are converted. There's no coincidence between the coming of the Holy Spirit and preaching. In Acts chapter 4, verse 29, the church is praying for Peter and John. They're praying this, Lord, let them continue to speak your word with all boldness. The church valued preaching of God's word and prayed for this to occur in their midst. Paul, likewise, followed Christ's pattern of preaching, and he says to Timothy, I was appointed a preacher. I was appointed a preacher and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. To the Corinthian believers, Paul says this, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. To his apostolic representative in Ephesus, Paul told Timothy in the text we read, preach the word, Timothy, preach the word. And so we see that preaching was central to Jesus's ministry, to the apostles' ministry, and it was valued in the regular activity of the first century church. Fourth, preaching is the Holy Spirit's instrument for faith. Preaching is the Holy Spirit's instrument for faith. Ordinarily, there are always extraordinary circumstances, but ordinarily, sinners must hear the gospel to have faith in Christ, right? And then they have to continue to hear the gospel so that they can continue to grow in godliness. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's a very technical term, which means the gospel. Faith comes from hearing the word of Christ, hearing the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Do you see that? The foolishness of the gospel, the folly of the method preaching is how God has chosen to save those who believe. It's the means and the message taken together that the Holy Spirit uses. And so John Calvin is right. He says, God breathes faith into us 
only by the instrument of his gospel. As Paul points out that faith comes by hearing, likewise the power to save rests with God. But as Paul again testifies, he displays and unfolds salvation in the preaching of his gospel. He's exactly right. And so if faith is to flourish in the church, the preaching of the gospel must be, pun intended, paramount, not superfluous. It must be central in the worship of God's church. In fact, Michael Horton, he says this. He says, the choice of preaching as a medium for God is not incidental. Preaching puts us on the receiving end of things. Not only does justification come through faith alone, but faith itself comes through hearing. And what does preaching require you to do? Sit down and be on the receiving end to hear something that is being announced to you. And so preaching is God's instrument that elicits faith, thereby uniting us to Christ and his body that is growing together toward perfection. Thanks, John. That's a message called The Gift of Preaching the Word, Part 1. We'll hear Part 2 of this message next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.